listening to Connection Church's podcast. All right, Revelation chapter 2, this is the first letter written to the churches. Uh, this is Johnny wrote to seven different churches. One of the things that people will say about that is uh, that it was seven actual churches that existed in that day. But that also indicates the number of seven, the number seven is also the number of completion in the Bible. And so what we know is that these letters were also written for the whole church. It wasn't just one church that would read these letters, it was all the churches. And so we have a lot that we can learn from these letters. To start it out, let's read uh, verses one through seven in chapter two, and let's see what God has to say to us today. It says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. We know from chapter one, the seven stars are his messengers. Um, and it says, and walks among the seven golden lampstands. We know from chapter one that the lampstands are the churches. Um, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand. In other words, I'll come and take the church. The church will no longer be in existence from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Nicolaitans were people who were leading folks astray with heretical teaching, leading them into worship of idols and sexual immorality, all forms of morality. And so he's saying, I hate those practices. You hated those. That's one thing that we have in common. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. I said, this will be in every letter. Uh, we need to listen to God, hear what he says, do what he says. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray and we'll jump in. Father, I thank you for it today. And I thank you, God, that we can come in your presence. I thank you that just as you were among the lampstands in John's vision and, and the way you revealed yourself to him in this book of Revelation, God, you are here today. And so I pray, Lord, um, that this would be a time that, uh, God, we don't just come to you and go through the motions. We don't just hear another message, but that your power would move in hearts and move in lives and begin to change us and bring us closer to you maybe awakening someone for the first time to the reality of your love and the power of who you are. So God, just have your way now in this place and in our hearts as we open them to you to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, how many of you have ever had somebody not tell you the truth? Anybody? You can raise your hand. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, we call that lying, right? Um, how many of you though would admit today because we're in church, the house of the Lord, right? That at some point you didn't tell the truth. Oh, a bunch of sinners going to hell, I'm telling you. I'm kidding, we've all done that. I mean, we've all probably told the little white lie, right? Or we've told the big lie, or, or maybe we've been telling lies for a long time. But the point of it is that uh, sometimes when people lie to us, it's just very plain to see, it's very obvious. We just know that they're lying. For example, uh, my four-year-old Reed, uh, this week I was going to bathe him and he's uh, getting ready. I'm actually trying to get him to bathe himself, which I've got a better chance of winning the lottery than I do of my four-year-old bathing himself at this point, it seems. And so um, he's in there and he's in in the tub and he's like, daddy, you know? And so I go in and I'm like, what do you need? What do you, what's going on? And he's like, I bathed. You bathed? Yep. 
I bathed. I said, are you sure? He said, yes. I said, are you positive? You bathe, yes. And I'm looking at him and he's got this big spot of dirt right here on his chest. And I'm like, Reed, you have not bathed. And he said, yes, me have. I'm like, no, me haven't. You have not bathed. And, and, and then he's, he's, he just continues to hold his position, but I know all the time that he's not telling me the truth. And so I'm like, give him one more chance. I'm like, Reed, have you bathed? And he's like, yes. And I was like, Reed, you know you go to hell for lying, right? I didn't say that, but that's what I, that's what I was thinking though. Like I, I, I was like, Reed, you need to repent, son. You need to repent, turn the flames, you know, hell's hot, right? You know, now let's come here, let's go to the oven. Let me show you how this feels, it's not good. And so no, don't, don't call defects, I'm, I'm just kidding. But, it, it, but, but, but I knew that he wasn't telling me the truth. I knew that there was more there than he was revealing. And, and, and as I read this uh, text in the first two verses, uh, that's what I began to realize. It's like many times we try to hide things from Jesus. We try to keep things from him. But one of the things that jumped out at me in this text is that Jesus says, I know. Right? He says, I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. He knows. And here's the thing about it. He knows all about us. See, here's the thing about God is he knows where you are. Not like in here in Connection Church, but he knows where you are in life. He knows, he knows, and see, I'm glad. Some of us might look at that and go, well, I don't, that's kind of scary that God knows where I'm at. No, 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 this is a very good thing because here's the thing, like having three children, three boys that are wild, I need God to know like where I'm at. You know what I'm saying? I need help. And so he knows where we are. Listen, he knows how we are. He knows how we're doing. He knows not just where we are, he knows how we are. He knows the condition of our heart. He knows the condition of our church and how we're doing there. But see, the health of the church will never be greater than the sum total of the health of the individuals. And so we, we, we need to realize that and we come together and worship and we're living our, our corporate life, even in the community as Connection Church, uh, what the, 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 the display that people see is, is gonna be the, the sum total of our committedness and our surrender to Jesus. And so he knows, he knows where we are. He knows what we're like. He knows the condition of our heart. He knows all of these things about us. And see, here's the thing though, is that Jesus works in the area of the heart, but for us, many times, we wanna keep it at a superficial level. We wanna keep it very superficial. Jesus knows all of these things. He knows all of the deepest, darkest secrets. He knows the good, he knows the bad. He knows every bit of that. And yet we still try to keep it at a very superficial level. And the reason we do that is because it's painful when we begin to deal with hard issues. It's messy when we begin to deal with hard issues, but ministry is messy. Um, if you're like me and you like things in rows and columns, ministry doesn't fit into rows and columns. You can't program it. Uh, it's the Holy Spirit working in people and people's lives are messy. My life is messy. Your life is messy. And we need to realize that this is the area that God works in is our mess that comes from our heart. And so Jesus knows these things and Jesus desires to work in our hearts. The way he knows, if you look at verse uh, one, is that he was with them walking among the seven lampstands. This is who's speaking to us is Jesus who was here, who is here today, whose spirit is moving among us, who is speaking to us, who knows everything about us, the good and the bad, and loves us anyway. 
This is the Jesus that we're talking about. And see, Jesus's area of work, his area of expertise, what he does is he works in the heart. Uh, we, we hear people talk about going deep with God. Many times they're just referring to having a lot of knowledge about God, but with the deepness of God and his deep working in our lives is his working that he does at the center of our being at our heart so that it begins to affect everything else in our life. If you wanna be a deep Christian, then let God do a deep work on the inside of you. And so I want you to see that today. I want you to understand that today, that Jesus is the only one qualified to do the work that he needs to do in your heart. I don't know if you noticed this yet or not, but I got a haircut this week. In fact, I got a whopper of a haircut this week. I was sitting there and, and a friend of mine was cutting my hair. He's been cutting my hair for a long time and we're just having a good conversation and she's just cutting and trimming and going to town. And then all of a sudden she went zoom. It's like, whoa, 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 what just happened? And I'm looking in the mirror and I'm like, I'm not a barber, but I don't think that was supposed to happen, right? And as she's going, she kind of stops and there's this moment of silence where we're kind of looking at my hair, looking at the floor, looking at my hair, looking at the, my hair on the floor and where she just finally goes, I did not mean to hit that right there. I was like, yeah, she goes, you're about to have a buzz cut. I was like, all right, it grows back. And so to hear your hairdresser, your barber, whatever it is, you wanna, you, you know, to hear them say, I didn't mean to hit that right there, oops, right? That's one thing, okay? To hear your cardiologist say that, that's a completely different thing, right? Like you never wanna come out of the surgery and be like, oops, like, you know, you don't want a doctor with a record of oops. That's not what you want. And so the thing I want you to see in that is that you, you, you come to one, you come to Jesus who is qualified. You come to Jesus who's able to do the work in your heart, but he calls us, he wants to do a deep work in us. He wants to pull those things out of us so that we can heal from the inside out. He wants to work in us. But I would say that one of the biggest problems or the biggest problem in the American church is superficial Christianity. It's the country club Christianity that says, I just dress up and I go and I look good and then I leave and I live my life the rest of the time the way I wanna live it. That's not Christianity. Christianity is when we are pursuing Jesus with everything that we have and we surrender our life to him because of the love he's shown us. And we finally realize and recognize that living for him is the best way to live. It's the best for me and it's the best for his glory. And we submit to him. It doesn't mean that we get it right, but it means that the direction of our life changes and we pursue him. That's what it is. And God does that work in our hearts. See, for us to remain in a superficial place with Jesus, this is what has to happen. We have to believe some lies about Christianity and about ourselves. And, and I wanna share a few of those with you today. The first one is this, the first lie that I would tell you we have to believe if we say at a superficial level with Jesus is that I can drown out the voice of condemnation. I can just drown out the voice of condemnation. Many of us today would recognize the fact that we struggle with condemnation. In fact, many of us, and there's more probably here than would admit it, could say this, that condemnation dominates your life. In fact, the things from your past dominate your life more than your hope in Christ for the future. So that the condemnation from things in your past dominates your life more than hope in Christ and the hope that Jesus has given you in the future. It's such a big thing that you dwell on the past so much that, that you, you, you can't really have much hope in the future because you're always looking to the past. 
And some of us are in that place. And then some of us don't realize some of the ways that condemnation is robbing us of life. Some of the ways that condemnation is taking us out of life. For instance, how many of you hate to be, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you hate to be alone with your own thoughts? Because when you're alone with your own thoughts, you begin to think about that thing or them or they or whatever it might be. And you go to that place and it's unpleasant. So when you go to bed at night, rather than being able to just cut the TV off, you have to leave it on so that it distracts you while you go to sleep so that you're not left there to think with your head laying on a pillow, thinking about the past or what happened or what you did. And so it begins to rob you. How many of you blame yourself for things that you had no control over? Things that have happened to you that you have no control over and yet you carry guilt and condemnation for those things. And see, the reality of it is um, for people who are in Christ, we know from Romans 8, 1, that there is no condemnation and there is none, but Satan loves to use that against us. How many of us, and you can raise your hand for this one. If you're like me, you beat yourself up when you're not perfect. Anybody else? Like, like you just beat yourself up when you're not perfect. Like I very seldom would ever even give myself a C plus on many things that I do. I have to fight for that, to not walk in this place of condemnation, this performance-based mentality. And so we live in this place of condemnation. Now, I wanna be very clear on one hand, for, for unbelievers, there's a reason to feel condemnation. For people who haven't come to Christ and surrendered is because condemnation still remains. There's still condemnation there. But for, for believers, we need to realize that the condemnation is no longer there because it was taken upon Jesus. Jesus took it for us. And see, if we are going to escape condemnation, the thing that is being condemned must be removed. That's the difference in an unbeliever and a believer is that in the, for the unbeliever, there's a lot of difference, but the unbeliever, condemnation remains because the thing that is condemned remains, which is sin. But for the believer, no condemnation remains because the thing that was being condemned has been removed, sin. Does that make sense? You see that. The reason there's no condemnation ever for the believer is because Jesus took your past, present, future sins upon himself. They were condemned and punished once and for all, so they never have to be punished again. So you, you can say, there is no condemnation for me any longer. But do we realize, do we grab hold of that? We see that. We need to understand that, that Jesus did that on the cross for us. For the unbeliever, there's still sin, there's still condemnation. The Bible talks about Jesus taking away sin. He takes it away. It's not that he just says, oh, it's all right. No, God's never all right with sin. Jesus took it away and put it on himself and was punished for it so that we could be set free. Jesus did that for us. I want you to all get this. I want you to try to understand this, that condemnation and acceptance they're not things that we earn or statuses that we can somehow gain. Listen, condemnation and acceptance are positions that we are in. When we are not in Christ and our sins have not been forgiven, we are in a place of condemnation. But when we come to Christ and we've put our faith in him and he has taken our sin and he has taken our condemnation, we go into a place of acceptance, a position. It is a firm place that God has established us in. And it's something that cannot be taken away. And so we need to understand that and see that, that acceptance or condemnation are not statuses that we earn or gain, but they are positions that we hold, but based off of our faith in Christ. And when God puts us there, when God, we become his child, his son, his daughter, then we are his. 
and he holds us. The second lie that we have to believe if we're gonna live in this place of superficial Christianity is that we have to believe that we can ignore the voice of conviction. See, while a Christian no longer has condemnation, Christians do still have conviction. And it's the spirit of God working in us that convicts us of the sin in our lives. See, I want you to get this. You need to hear this. You need to listen. The difference in condemnation and conviction is that condemnation attacks the person. It attacks you. The difference in conviction is it attacks the sin. So condemnation attacks the person, conviction attacks the sin. God will always convict us of sin. We'll never be able to completely ignore the voice of God if the spirit of God's in us, why? Because if we come to faith in Christ, he puts his spirit in us, his spirit will forever war with the flesh that is still left in us. There's a battle that goes on. If there's not a battle in you between flesh and spirit, then we need to check the issue of salvation because there's always that battle. That's why 1 John says that no Christian will continue to sin, meaning continuing on in the same sin, never turning from that sin because the spirit of God's working in us. I've seen so many people who come to faith in Christ and they're on fire and then they start to drift away, but I see them also begin to come back. Why? Because the spirit draws them back. And so we see that happening and we can't ignore that. You can ignore it, but it's not going away because it's the spirit of God in you. It's like when we're going somewhere with my kids, man, and, and, and like one of them or all three of them usually want something. And they're all going, daddy, 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 daddy. But we're kind of country. So they're like, diddy, 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 diddy. I'm like, what's a diddy? They're like, diddy, diddy. I'm like, daddy, diddy, diddy, daddy. And they're like, daddy, 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 you know? And I'm trying to ignore, I'm trying, and, and, and yet yeah, I just can. In a much better way, that's how the Holy Spirit works in us. It just continues to poke and prod and pull and, 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 and show and reveal to us those things in our lives that aren't pleasing to God. And see, as we begin to come to God and we realize his love for us and we begin to love God, we begin to love what God loves and hate what God hates. We begin to have a change of heart and we begin to see things differently because he gives us a new heart through the power of his spirit. I would ask you this today, what has God already told you to do that you haven't done yet? What, what is it that God's been poking at? What is it that God's been speaking to you that you haven't done yet? Is it salvation? Has he been speaking to your heart, knocking on the door of your heart to draw you to himself and yet you've just been fighting that? Is it some sin that you need to let go of? Is it some discipline that you need to begin? What is it that God has already told you to do? I hear so many people say this, well, I've just been asking God what he wants me to do. My question is this, did you do the last thing he told you? Because why would he tell us something new if we haven't been obedient with the last thing he told us? So what is he telling you to do that you haven't done yet. Third lie that we have to believe if we're gonna stay in this place of superficial Christianity is I can outwork the grasp of sin. But, but, but here's the thing, here's the problem with that. Here's our mentality with that. We think it's about what I can do rather than what Jesus has already done. And so we try to do rather than trusting in what Jesus has done. And this is some of the things that, 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 that John is writing about and that Jesus is saying. He said, listen, it's already been done. I know these things. I know what I've done for you. Are you gonna accept it? See, we, we by nature have an issue with accepting God's acceptance. We wanna do something for it. But the reality of it is we can only accept it by faith. 
many of us get to this place where we try to um, come to God and out, out, uh, get out of the grasp of sin or cover our sin, even by how much we know. And I see this all the time with people. People will say this, I just need to know more scripture. No, you need to know the one that the scripture is written about. And when you know the one that the scripture is written about, this is what'll take place. Your heart will begin to desire the word more and you'll begin to wanna know the scripture more from a different place. Rather than a place of I need to be good enough or spiritual pride. Um, see, I see this all the time that especially with young men, they get saved. They've been saved for about a year and they get an ESV study Bible that's about this thick. And then they listen to three John Piper sermons and then they become a PhD in theology and then they become a rock in my shoe. And see, here's the thing that we need to learn before we gain a whole lot of knowledge we need to learn some humility about that. Maybe a little life experience and humble ourselves and realize that maybe we don't know as much as we think we know and realize that God's knowledge without love, as he says, as he tells them here, you forsaken your first love, meaning love for Jesus and love for people. If you forsaken for your first love and knowledge alone without love, um, it, it puffs up. The Bible is clear about that in first Corinthians. It begins to puff you up. It begins to, to, to make you prideful and yet love builds up. Um, knowledge concerns things, yet love concerns people. And so we need to understand this, that knowledge without love is futile, it's hopeless, it's fruitless. We have to come to a place where we recognize this, but we also, and listen to this, this is just as important, love without knowledge produces perpetual spiritual infants. It'd be like having a church of 1300 babies. And I'm not saying that's what we are, but how many of you want that? No, we need to grow up in the truth, but we need to always remember that it's the love working, us in, working the truth out of us, that God's placed there rather than us just trying to gain knowledge for knowledge's sake. It's about knowing him. Another one that we look at and we see a lie that we believe is that I can hide my heart and yet this scripture tells us that he knows. We know that God knows, but we think that we can somehow build a facade around our heart, a facade that, that hides the lack of character. We try to build a facade that, that, that hides the true condition and nature of our being in our heart. And the reality of it is we can't do that, that God sees. It's like putting a card house uh, wall uh, b b between you and God. He just, and blows it over. It does no good. God sees. So we need to come to a place of recognizing that. Remember in chapter one last week, Cody talked about his eyes that blaze with fire. Those eyes see through and they see the heart. First thing was 16, seven, talking about David, when David was anointed as king, God said that he doesn't look at the outward appearance of a man, but he looks at his heart. God sees the heart. What are we trying to hide from God in our heart? And see, when these things take place, we, these things, these lies allow us to look good on the outside while we're dying on the inside. So we come in and out of church, we come in and out of connect group, we come in and out of, of Bible studies and, and we look good on the outside, but on the inside we're dying and we're aching and there's a voice inside of us that says something's not right. 
And so we need to recognize this and come to this. This is what Jesus is telling them. Listen, in, in verse two, he says all of the, I know things of, of wicked. I know you don't tolerate wickedness. I know your hard work and perseverance. I know all of these things. Verse three, he says, you've persevered. Um, you've endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. In verse four, he says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Basically what he's saying is you've done a lot of good things. You even look like the perfect church, but the problem is you've missed the whole point. He's saying, you know a lot of good things, you're doing a lot of good things, but you're missing the whole point of love. And when Bible is clear in 1 Corinthians 13, if we don't have love, we are nothing. He said, you can have all this stuff, you can do all the right things, but if you don't have love, it's nothing. See, Jesus' love for us and our love for Jesus is the starting point of all Christian activity. Jesus' love for us and our love for him is the starting point of all Christians. Listen, when we begin to do things out of duty, it, it doesn't benefit our Christian walk. It's not until we encounter the love of God that we begin to do things with the right motive and the right motivation. And I want you to see this um, card that was in your seat when you got here. On one side, it says, I have to. It's got these things, I have to read my Bible, I have to pray, I have to attend church, give to the church, serve in the church, share my faith. See, many of us, we feel much more loved by God when we do these things. I mean, I do this. If I feel like I'm doing good, then I'm like, yeah, God loves me. If I feel like I'm doing bad, then maybe, maybe you know, he don't love me as much. But the reality of it is, is love never changes. And so we, we've got these things listed with some blanks because we want you to fill in the blanks. What is it that you feel like I have to do in order to find God's love, acceptance, and approval of me? And then on the other side, it says, I get to. I get to, and it's got the same things listed with some other blanks. Because God loves, accepts, and approves of me. And we can look at it, and that can seem like a very small difference. It doesn't seem like, it could seem like the width of this card difference, right? But it's really a 180 difference. It's a, it's a turning. It's a complete turning. And it changes everything. It changes our motivation. It changes uh, um, why we do what we do. And we need to grab hold of that. It's why so many people end up burned out and, 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 and reluctant to do anything for God is because we've done it out of the right motive or the wrong motive. We need to come to a place where we recognize that and do that. What do we do though when we recognize that this is who we are? What do we do when we recognize that this is, man, I fit one of those or I fit all of those. To give you a hint, the way I came up with those is I looked at my own life and my own struggles with that. What do we do? I mean, how do we, well, basically we accept the offer of Christ again, but specifically Jesus tells us, look at verse five. It says, remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. In other words, this church is gonna be gone. We don't need to think that any church is too big to fail. And so Jesus tells us what we are to do. If we recognize these things in our lives, the first thing he tells us is remember. He says, remember, remember the height from which you've fallen. In other words, look back at where you were when Jesus came to you and he called you and think about the heights of grace that he's carried you to and assess it and see where you are in regards to that. Am I still there or have I fallen? Have I put my hope in other things or am I still walking in this love relationship with God? Is he still pouring in so that I can pour out or am I doing uh, things 
things and trying to earn it. Um, what is it that's saying? So remember. The next one he says is to repent. And to repent means to turn. It means to turn away from all the sin that we know and turn to Jesus with all of our heart. That's repentance. Many times we confuse repentance with remorse. Too many times I see people who they're filled with remorse and no repentance. They're sorry for getting caught, but there's very little desire to change. Especially guys. So many times it's not until they're caught in the pornography that they're willing to say, I need to turn from the pornography and reach out for help. Are you filled with remorse? Are you filled with this desire for repentance to turn away and to turn to Jesus? Because it makes a difference. In fact, what we turn to and who we turn to is even more important than what we turn from because what we turn from has been taken care of on the cross, but it's who we turn to that begins to fill our lives and change our hearts. If you wanna put it in some simple terms, I would give you this one phrase to remember this by of what do we do? This is our constant life. This is our constant Christian walk. Remember where you were, what we just talked about. Remembering the heights of grace that God's carried us to. Remember where we were when he called us. Uh, listen, so many of us worry about, does God love me? Have I, have I screwed up too bad? Listen, if you're in Christ and your faith is in Christ, if, if he loved you and gave his son for you when you were a sinner, when, when, when you were not uh, giving him a thought, how much more does he love you now that you are in Christ, that you've accepted his son and been made right? And so we need to remember that. So remember where you were, assess where you are and return to center. Remember where you were, assess where you are and return to center. Remember where you were, the heights of grace that Jesus has carried us to. Assess where we are, are we growing or are we dropping back? Are we still pursuing him? And then return to center, meaning the center of his will. Are you walking in the will of God? Are you, are you, are you pursuing him? Or is there some correction that he's trying to bring? There's some conviction in your life that he says we need to make a course correction. See, once we begin to grow a little bit and we begin to see, we understand that God's correction is for our good and for his glory. He's not trying to harm us. He's trying to save us. It's not because he doesn't love us, but because he does. What is it in our life that we need to correct back to center for God's will or for, so that we can be in the center of his will for our life? What's he calling us to? What's he putting his finger on? And Jesus says the consequences of this of not doing this, he says, is that the church will cease to exist. The people will no longer exist as the church in this case, but it can happen here. And the reason that he tells them that is a warning that they need to remember, they need to repent and they need to resume doing what they were doing. They need to return to the center of God's will. And what's crazy is that many of the things they would return to beginning to do would look very similar to what they had been doing, but it would be done with a different zeal, with a different vitality, with a different outlook, with a different motivation. So he calls them to this. And I would dare say, and this is the danger of church, of the life of the body of Christ. I would dare say that many churches have already ceased to exist, maybe not in name, maybe not in a, because they don't meet, maybe not because there aren't messages preached, maybe not because there's not a building to go to, but we've ceased to exist in many ways because we've ceased to do what God has called us to do as the church. We've ceased to be the body of Christ. Then he gives a great promise and this promise is that 
to him who overcomes that I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. In other words, he's saying the promise is for him who remains in faith, for him who pursues, for him who comes after Jesus, and for him who overcomes. He says, the promise is eternal life, eternity with God in this love relationship. But here's the thing, if we don't love God now, why would we wanna spend eternity with him? See, at the end of it all, God gives us what we really want. He either gives us himself for eternity or he gives us separation from himself for eternity. So we have this option of which one we choose. So we come to Christ and we come and look at this, what he's calling us to. We come to the fact that he knows about us. He knows all of these things. We realize that we can do a lot of good things. We can be about Christ, even about his business without having the love of Christ in our lives. And then we see that he calls us to remember, to repent and to do the things that we did at first. In other words, we're coming to him, remembering what he did and turning back to him. And this is what I know in this room today, there are many, many people represented here who need to turn back to Christ, who there's something in our lives where there needs to be a correction. Um, For believers, there's this place where we need to come to where the conviction of the spirit works in our heart and we say, yes. See, for many of us, Jesus's hand has been knocking on the door of our heart, calling us to a place of repentance. And because of this conviction that, that, that God has put on us because of something in our life and we've been ignoring it. And yet he continues to knock. What I would say is, why why don't you today surrender your life to him and say yes to what he is putting his finger on and pressing on in your life. Listen, as a believer, are you convicted of something that you've just been ignoring God? Is there something, a relationship? Is there something you need to deal with now that you've been just ignoring? Is it something to do with what God's told you to do? I don't don't know what it is for you. You can fill in the blank, but the reality of it is, have you been ignoring his voice? For others, it's this realization that we need to come to Christ. See, we don't have a point where we remember um, God saving us. And maybe you grew up in church and maybe, you, you, you know, my wife, she doesn't know like that's that pinpoint moment where she, she just knows she's known Jesus all of her life and she's loved him um, for as long as she can remember. I'm not talking about that. But what I'm talking about is, have you come to a place where um, you can think about what God has done in your life? Because if God's done nothing in your life, it's because he's not working in you. And if God's not working in you, then we need to realize that we probably have not come to faith in him. And so I want to ask you this question today. And I want to know if you have not said yes to him, but you know, he's knocking and you realize that the condemnation of sin has not been removed from my life because I haven't trusted it to Christ, but I need that removed. I want to surrender to him. Listen, I wanna to surrender to him as Lord and I put my trust in him for the forgiveness of sins and taking my sins away through faith. There's two parts. Jesus is savior and he's Lord. He's the one who saves us from sin, but he's also the Lord of our lives. And so maybe today, you know that the Lord's knocking on your heart. You never said yes to him. You never said, yeah, God, I, I want this relationship with you. Maybe you've been ignoring his voice calling you to a relationship with him. But today you would say yes to him. This is what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you if you would be so bold 
to say yes to God and yes to salvation, that right now, right where you are, you would lift your hand up in the air and say, yes, that's what I want today. I wanna know him. I want this relationship with him. Would you raise your hand? Let us celebrate that with you. Let us pray with you. Anybody here today that would make that statement? Amen. Yes, you wanna go pray? Who else, who else, who else? You're here today, you know the Lord's knocking on your heart, man. Maybe you've been running for a long time, but today's the day that you say yes to him. Where are you at? All right. The second group that I wanna talk to are those who today it's time to be baptized. And see, baptism is a time where we celebrate the faith of people who have gone from death to life, right? Uh, it's not the water that saves you. I wanna be very clear about that. Coming and getting baptized, uh, thinking that's gonna save you, that does not save you. You just go to hell wet, right? I mean, that's basically what happens. And so the reality of it is, it's not the water that saves us, it's the faith in, in, our, in, in a savior that saves us. It's our identification with Jesus. It's saying that I identify with him in his cleansing. That's what the, the water represents. It, it's identifying with him in his death, going under the water, symbolizing his death, coming back up, symbolizing his resurrection. We identify with him in that. We identify with him as our Lord and we identify with him as, uh, uh, in his community, the church. And so there's people here today who you need to be baptized. I'd give you three questions to ask, to know, um, is this something I need to do? The Bible is very clear that once we come to faith that we take our next step and that next step is baptism. What I'd like to ask you is, have you said yes to Jesus as your savior? If you said yes to Jesus as the savior of your life, as the savior of your soul, then that's one question you need to ask. Another one is, is Jesus the Lord of my life? Have I surrendered to him as Lord? And the third one is, have I been baptized as a believer? And so when we come to this and what we see is three questions that make it pretty simple to know if this is my next step. Have I come to faith in Christ as my savior? Have I said yes to Jesus as Lord? And have I been baptized as a believer? If the answer is yes, yes, no, then our next step is baptism. Because Jesus clearly portrays that. Peter clearly portrays, he said, repent and be baptized every one of you. So today we wanna to celebrate those who today your next step is being baptized. Maybe you came knowing you'd be baptized. That's awesome. We've got clothes for you. Maybe you came and you didn't know today you would be baptized, but you know that that's what the spirit has put in your heart to do. You know that the answer to those questions is yes, yes, no. Maybe God has been poking at that for a while and prodding you and you say, yes, well, we've got clothes for you. We've got things for you. We wanna to talk to you. We wanna meet with you. And then you can be baptized today, taking your next step. But today we wanna to celebrate that with those who've gone from faith or from death to life through faith. We wanna bring you up here and celebrate that with you and recognize this in you today. So if you're here today and your next step is baptism, where you planned it, where you, whatever it may be, maybe God put it in your heart, you just know he's been pushing you, prodding you to this, then I'm gonna ask you to get up and would you just get up and come forward? Would you just get up and begin to move and come forward and come stand here? Amen, Cody, our youth pastor, looks like he's getting baptized today. That's awesome. 
I'm kidding, I'm kidding, Cody's not, but everybody else is, so let's, let's celebrate that. Praise God. Amen. Your next step's baptism, come on. It's awesome, it never gets old seeing people celebrating their faith and celebrating what Jesus has done in their life. This is awesome. We're proud of you guys and thankful for God and how he moves. If you'll follow Cody, he's gonna take you out and, and let you get changed and take good care of you. The last one is this, and Chase is gonna lead us in one more song while they change, and then we're gonna see them baptized. But I feel like there's a lot of us here today who need to do business with God. Maybe something that they've been, you've been convicted about, something you need to come and be on your face before the Lord and in that state of repentance, that heart of repentance and turning from the sin and turning to God. And so this is the opportunity I wanna give you. I'm gonna pray and as I pray, I'm gonna give you opportunity to come forward and you just come and you spend time here at the altar. I don't know, maybe it's something that you've been fighting for a while. Maybe it's been the God that you've been fighting against. Maybe today's the day that you surrender that. He's prodding you, I'm telling you, just be, just be responsive. I'm gonna pray, you respond how you feel the Lord leading you. Jesus, we thank you for your love and grace and the power that's in your name, that's in the work of the cross. We thank you that the cross is greater than sin. We thank you that what you did on the cross is greater than what Satan did in the garden. And so Lord, I pray that you would move in people's hearts. I pray that you would just God bring us to this place where the thing we want more than anything else is you. That God, we would just lay it all before you. God, do that in my heart. I want you more, God. I wanna want you more. So do that in us, God. Help us, Lord. Jesus, as we come to you, we wanna remember where you've taken us to and what you've saved us from. And we celebrate that. And let this be a time where we just get real with you. Where we move superficial religiousness to the side. And we come and allow you to begin a deep work in our heart. In Jesus' name.